So let's let's pick up where we were last week, and uh, we will start with our review items. Uh, so last week we were in Revelation chapter five, and uh, so we gave you eight keys to Revelation chapter five. So let's let's pull that back up right now. Revelation chapter five. First, we said Revelation 5 opens with a picture of God the Father having a scroll in hand with seven seals. Number two, we said we shall come to understand that this scroll represents a dispensation of judgments for the earth. And remember our statement, which we've made previously, is that at specific time, specific periods of time, God dealt with mankind in different ways called dispensations. Number three, we said that a search was made throughout creation for someone worthy to open the scroll and loose the seals. Then we said, number four, Jesus is revealed and unveiled. And why do I use both of those words? Because the, the scripture says that the revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I always want to look at him because he's the main idea. Jesus is revealed and unveiled as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb that had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the sevenfold manifestations of the spirit of God. It is he that is worthy to take the scroll and open the seal. And just as a commentary, until he does that, it's not done. Okay, so. Jesus is the one that can move us from one dispensation to the other. Until he does that, it hasn't happened yet. Now, that, that's logical, but the implications of that are real significant because some people say, well, as soon as this happens in some foreign country and this nation does this and this thing does that, um, then the end times or this period of suffering will begin. No, the suffering, it doesn't start until Jesus starts the clock. He's the clock starter. Does that make sense? Okay. So that was number four. Number five, Jesus taking the scroll from the Father triggers worship in heaven to both the Father and the Son. This worship is mixed with music, songs, and prayers of believers. Six, we learn a critical point about our prayers they are ministry on earth that affect heaven. Don't stop praying. Let me say that one more time. Don't stop praying. Okay, let me say it once again. Don't stop praying, even for things that it doesn't seem possible to happen on earth. Prayers have a cumulative effect in the cosmic economy of heaven. They gather up and pool in heaven in much the way, same way that water evaporates from the earth, goes into the heavens, and then comes back down as rain. All right, so you just don't know if that last prayer might be the tipping point that caused your answer to fall back down to the planet. Number seven, we are clear that the church is there because the once slain Jesus had, and this was the quote that was used in the song, redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. All right. And so um, from our perspective, by this time, 
in Revelation 5, the church, those of the church age, had uh, been taken and, and are a part of this unfolding event. Number eight, the interesting theology in this worship is that while many church songs on earth focus on getting to heaven, this song in heaven focused on reigning on the earth. Hey, we went to a, a homegoing celebration of a dear woman of God yesterday. Last song, when we all get to heaven. Nothing wrong with it. But in heaven, while we're singing about going there, we just, we demonstrated last week that they're singing about coming here. Okay. So we have to uh, have some clarity. Um, I really want us as we go through this, and I'm really seeking it myself as I'm doing the studies and to make sure I get an understanding of the kingdom perspective and what it means in terms of that the kingdom has arrived already, that we're supposed to preach the gospel of the kingdom to all the nations for a witness before the end comes, that we're supposed to occupy until he comes. How do all of those things unfold um, if everybody's just trying to escape, you know, and uh, we're all we're more excited about going up yonder than we are about doing the work that God has called us to do on earth. Okay, and so um, let's make sure that we are the people that we have heaven's perspective. We know that that's there for us, but while we're here, we're swinging um, every shot that we have to cause the kingdom advancement to happen on the planet. I think that's our job. Um, the other thing that I think is very important for us to always have um, a picture of is that you know some people's perspective of the church is that the church is going to be this great falling away and you know jesus is beaming us out because we can't make it on our own or make it on the earth but then the scriptures was very clear the scripture is very clear that um that there would be this um the church Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. He's the head, we're the body. The footstool has to be something that's under us, not just under him. All right? And so if he's the head, we're the body, the footstool is under him. The church has to be here until we get victory over everything. Okay, now your generation of the church might not have gotten victory over that. And so my goal is to get as much victory as I can before I lead a planet. And then have some disciples behind me that I have given the teachings that got me the victory. And then the enemy that's beyond me, I'm going to lay my hands on them. And say, okay, I did all of this. I got us this much victory. Your assignment with the double portion anointing 
is to take it further. This is the next enemy. I see God giving you victory over. And then once I lay my hands, then I'm going to go to heaven in Jesus name. And I'm going to be rooting for it from the from the um, from the bleachers. We have this great cloud of witnesses. Let us run the race that's set before us. And so that's a different picture, right? Because he's saying that every enemy will be made the footstool of the church. And then he said there would be one generation of the church, the very last enemy that would be made the footstool of the church is death. And when that enemy is made the footstool, then the generation that does that is alive and remains because they won't have, they won't even be subject to death. And then he'll just catch them on up and they will be with the Lord. Okay, that's a different picture sometimes than what you hear about end times, like church is not victorious, like we're just going down. I mean, you know, there's going to be this great falling away and the love of many is going to wax cold. And all of those things can be true at the same time. But it's clear that there is a remnant, there is some portion of the church that will be walking in superhuman victory. And I just want to be a part of that number. I'm asking God how I can get in. <laughs> I want to get in where I can fit in in that group. Okay? That's the group I want to be in. I want to be in the group that's like, the supermen of heaven that have come to the planet. All right. And so I want to learn as much as I can about truth of the word, about, about revelation knowledge. I want to learn as much as I can about walking in victory, walking in strength, about being the witness, even witnessing to the death. I mean, however Jesus decides he wants this thing to work out. I just want to be the one that whatever he signed me up for, I'm on that winning side such that that I get as much victory as is available to me in my lifetime. And then I bequeath more victory to the people that I disciple to keep going beyond my life. Right. Just a picture. Now, that's a different picture than what some people have of end time events. And that's why we're taking the time to draw these thoughts together and string them together in a certain way. Not because we're trying to misuse scripture or make it say what we want it to say. We just want to have the victory that's in it. All right. We just want to have the victory that's in it. I'm not trying to make up something. If he didn't, if he didn't want me to have it, he shouldn't have put it in his book. Okay. Eight key thoughts. This is a reminder that two weeks ago, um, Roughly, we, we gave you this, this, uh, these eight key thoughts on Paul's revelation and end time events. I'm just going to go through this list really quick as a review, and then we'll get to our new content today. All right, number one was one that I had, um, um, I had not had the complete thoughts, so I went back and fixed it. Thank you, Jesus. There is an event where the church living in the dead will be caught up to be with the Lord. During this event, Christ descends with a shout and a voice. Three, the dead in Christ arise first and receive their glorified bodies. Four, the living church is also glorified instantaneously in the twinkling of the eye, just as fast as your eye can blink. I can see you one 
one way naturally, I could blink and then you'd be glorified just that fast. Number five, while some put this all on the last day, Paul states the restraining force, which I see as the church will be taken out of the way during this time. In church, church circles, this is this catching away is called rapture. All right. Number six, after the church is removed and in heaven, after the church is removed and in heaven, then the Antichrist can be revealed. So I don't look at computer chips and wars and earthquakes and famines. I look for what the state of the church is to determine when the unfolding of end time events will be. The flood couldn't start until Noah built the ark. No ark, no flood. All of the spiritual conditions could already be ready, but no ark, no flood. All right? Until God got an ark, shut them in, no flood happened. The angel that came to get Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah said, until you get out of the city, no, no rain of fire. Okay. Until you get out of the city, ain't no fire coming. Right? And so you want to be the kind of, um, we, we want to understand that prophetically there were always God had to do something to protect his people. Listen, uh, God gave the children of Israel time to get blood on a doorpost before the death angel came through. Okay. So I have example after example where God was always taking care of his folks before judgment was being poured out. All right. So what I look at when I try to determine the revealing of the Antichrist and of the end time things is I look at how glorious and prepared the church is for Jesus' return to determine the nearness of his return and how successful we are preaching the gospel. It's one of the reasons why, you know, like, like no one person has it all. So you can't say, well, man, you know, if I was looking at my, 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 my gospel, gospelometer, <laughs> this is how much remains to be done, how many nations remain to be done. I don't know, but Jesus knows. Okay, he's tracking. It's one of the reasons why he, whatever minister you know, there is, there is inbred in people called to ministry a desire to get the word out. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. I don't know a minister that's worth his salt that doesn't have some sense of that. Now, some of them believe their assignment is primarily local. I know some people, man, you know, all they want to do is pastor their local church. And listen, there's nothing wrong with it. If that's what God called you to do, then do the assignment that he gave you to do. All right. Other people, listen, every time I see some new technology, I'm an engineer by training. And there was a book by um, a great man of God, Bill Heyman, called The Eternal Church. And what he showed is when new technology came out, 
God used the new technology to help push the gospel. Going all the way back to the printing press, that was the first technology used to get scripture in a common man's language. So some 20, 30 years ago, me and my late Bishop Benjamin Burt were talking about how the internet was going to be the next move. Now it's common for us to do what we're doing now. But listen, when we, when we were talking about it, reading the book, it was nowhere near as common as it is now. The internet wasn't even as big as established as it is now. I was talking um, with a family member and we were talking about end time events and, you know, he said, well, I said, I said, see, I said, man, I'm, I'm trying to use technology to preach the gospel. I don't, I don't really know, man. I, I think if you put your stuff out there, um, you know, there's people, they'll use it for all kinds. Of, I said, I know people are using it for all kinds of stuff. Then I took him to one of the chapters in in revelation where it talked about god raising up two witnesses who would um cause plagues and things on the earth and then it said they would be killed in jerusalem and the whole world would see it and have a party i said listen god is using technology to let the whole world see them both get killed and rise from the dead and get caught into heaven. That wasn't even possible in previous generations. That can only happen when technology has progressed so far that people can see it. Okay, so all I'm saying now, now listen, that, that's not your... That's not your view on the end time. Okay, okay, hold up, hold up. Just, 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 just walk with me for a second. What I'm telling you is there is in a lot of ministers a drive to go global with their message. I believe that that's part of the mandate from Jesus to spread the gospel to the ends of the world before the end comes. Because God has to give people a witness. I can only hold you accountable for what, what you've had a chance to hear and know. If I'm going to judge you for it, I at least had to have give you a chance to, like, you know, get it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, once you rejected it, then it's on you. Okay, but at least you had your shot. All right, that was number six. Number seven. Until the physical Antichrist is revealed, the spirit of Antichrist is already in the earth. And I showed you before in volume one, the spirit of Antichrist in the earth is as old as the serpent in the garden. Has God said, God's holding out on you. That by definition is a spirit that was Antichrist. So some people say it can't be a physical antichrist because the spiritual one is already here. Well, duh, the spirit of antichrist has been in the earth, you know, since the garden. But the scripture was very clear that both were going to happen. And then finally, number eight, after some period of time, 
which theologians have called tribulation, Jesus come back, comes back to deal with the Antichrist. And we saw that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. But does he come alone or with others? And in our previous session, we, look, we looked at the book of Jude, where Enoch prophesied that the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints to execute judgment on the ungodly. And so we say he's coming with, with those that have already been caught up to be with him near. All right. Now let's get to the new part for today. Today, let's read Revelation chapter six, and then we'll walk ourselves through eight keys from Revelation chapter six. All right. Now I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard one of the four living creatures say with the voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and I and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow. Had a bow, but no arrows. And a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out and and. It was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. So the second one clearly is a man of war. And the people and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. Verse five says, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, a quarter, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come and see. And I looked and behold a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades or hell followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth, not the whole earth, a fourth of the earth. To kill with the sword, with hunger, with death and by the beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it was rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. 
and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? All right. Well, praise the Lord. So, what did we say? We said this thing is an opening. The scroll, when it's open, would be judgments. And we begin to see judgments coming upon the earth. It's interesting that um, the first judgment starts with this white horse, and then it goes all the way down to where people are now able to see into heaven. And they scared and they nervous. All right. So let's look at some things that we get out of this. Eight keys from Revelation 6. And this is where we'll go today. Number one, Jesus the Lamb. That's how he's revealed. He's revealed as the Lamb who's opening these seals. Opening seals marks the beginning of a new dispensation called the tribulation period. Now remember... All those saved during the church age have been caught up to heaven and are with the Lord already, right? Because they sung the song about being redeemed from every nation by his blood. That's us. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Number two, Jesus opens the first seal. The rider of the white horse is not Christ, but the Antichrist. Now, he looks similar to how Christ is described in one of the later chapters because Satan has always wanted to replace Christ with the Antichrist. He has always said, I'm going to sit on a throne like God to be God. All right? But notice that um, he has to be given a crown. Jesus already crowned. Okay? He's got to be given a crown. Notice um, there is some level of deception of a threat without an ability to carry it out. Why? Because he got a bow and no arrows. Okay. Also, right, because Satan always threatens you and tells you he can do more than he can do and still needs some compliance. Okay. Further, he's going forth to conquer where Jesus has already conquered death, hell, and the grave. Jesus has already conquered, right? All right. So that's the first seal. Number three, Jesus opens the second seal. The rider of the red horse represents the unleashing of war on the earth. While it's world war, it doesn't affect the whole world. All right. And that's really important, Pastor David. Why are you saying that? Um, 
the Antichrist is going to try to be a certain thing, but just because he's going to try them doesn't mean he's going to be successful. All right? So if you, you can read the prophetic scriptures that are in Daniel, and it'll describe all of the wars that this beast would do. But it's clear that he never masters everything, but he clearly has a specific a specific realm of influence and begins to try to make his move to take it over, right? Ever heard that there's a song we said, don't, don't, don't let the devil rise. Sooner or later, he's going to want to drive. Now, he's going to try to drive, all right? But there's only been two men that will ever have complete world domination. The first was the first Adam, and the second is the last Adam. Everybody else can try it, but nobody else has the full domination of the planet. Okay. Number four, Jesus opens the third seal. The rider of the black horse represents famine that affects some portion of the earth. Again, we see some commodities some commodities are affected by scarcity and others are left alone. See that you don't touch the wine and the oil. So clearly it isn't a complete thing. Um, but if you affect enough of it, the whole world can be in. A, listen, I mean, just think, do you remember back in the early 2000s when um, the power went out around Detroit. Listen, just a localized thing. That whole area. Well, we didn't have power down there for a few days. I remember that because, like, we was at work, and then everything just shut off, and we had to. Tr it took me an hour or more to get to the air, to, not to get to the airport, to get to the highway. I just wanted to get to the highway because I knew if, if I got to the highway, I could get home to Flint. But because there were no traffic lights and no direction, oh my goodness, it was it was so chaotic. It was crazy chaotic, right? Then people had to worry about food and getting gas. And I almost it was one of those days. You know how when you're thinking you should stop into the gas station before you come in, then you say, "Now nah, I'm gonna run," and then something, 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 not something, someone says, no, you need to stop and get gas like now. Thank you, Jesus, that the Holy Spirit told me to get gas because I would have been hit. Because everybody's trying to get out and there's no way to get gas now because all the gas stations are closed down. Even a localized area where, um, where the fundamental... Uh, the fundamental tools of our society, the fundamental infrastructure, the power, the food, the security. You know, there are people right now that are, are, um, that are spending significant amount of time, energy, and money preparing for the loss of food security. I mean, these are big issues. I mean, you know, it'd be one thing if we were like uh, an apostle generation where people in the city still knew how to farm and canned food, 
and go camping. But there's a lot of us, we don't know. <laughs> Uh-oh. Okay. So, Pastor, why are you telling me this? Well, um, like everything's not going to be affected, but enough of it is going to be affected that it begins to, to have a ripple effect on the earth. You know, we've seen that in World War One and Two. I mean, it wasn't like there were countries that never got hit, never got bombed, never had anything to happen to them. Right. But then the effect of what was happening in, in a, happens on a large enough scale that it would impact everyone that dwelt on the planet. Does that make sense? OK. Um, number five, Jesus opens the fourth seal. The rider of the pale horse's death followed by hell. Note, note that he is only given power over a fourth of the earth. So we know that these things are not like, you know, there's oftentimes pictures placed on end time events where the whole planet is just like, but that's not the same. The picture that the, that the scriptures give is not that, that, uh, that, Antichrist only has a certain measure of authority, but he is he is using both um, both strategy, negotiation, um, and war. Right? There's always the threat of war and a promise of peace. <laughs> All right, we're going to do a tariff, but we're going to work the deal out at the end. All right, I'm just I'm just saying. That went over some people's head, but but we see a lot of that kind of strategy that's using both the carrot and the stick even now, don't we? Yeah. Um, I got a statement there in number five in, in parentheses, and it says these four riders are often called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Anybody ever heard that term? Have you ever heard that term? I just want to make sure, you know. If you ever hear that term, you now know what the scripture reference to it is. Okay. Um, number six. Jesus opens the fifth seal. A group of martyrs during the, the tribulation period cry out for vengeance against those who took their lives on the earth. And clearly... The implication is because of their testimony or their witness or their allegiance to Jesus, that just like um, just like the three Hebrew boys were threatened to worship the image, the golden image set up by Nebuchadnezzar, that these who would not worship or take the sign or the mark um, would then be martyred. And then the scripture says that those that, that had that happen to them, that, that a group of them will, at the time of Jesus opening these seals, they would cry out for judgment. And he's like, hold it. There's a certain more number of you that will have to get into this before before that, before that judgment happens. He didn't say judgment wouldn't happen. He just said, y'all got to hold up for a minute. <laughs> All right. So heaven's response, um, a group of martyrs during the tribulation period, cry for vengeance against those who took their lives on the earth. Heaven's response indicates more martyrdom 
is to come before vengeance is given. Right? That's what we read. Okay, so we know that there is some conflict and that there is some level of, um, there is some level where the Antichrist and the forces that try to get people to um, to basically sell themselves to their side against God won't be completely successful. That there will be people, this scripture says, who would not love their lives to the death. Right? Um, I believe, so let's, let's talk, I'm going to just um, do one of my back to the future moments here. Daniel was caught by Nebuchadnezzar and taken into uh, Babylon. Daniel was one of the ones, for those that watched watched my uh, Men of Destiny on, on Saturday, I talked about King Hezekiah um, and how King Hezekiah was a good king, how he trusted in the Lord, how Babylonians came. He had gotten sick. Isaiah said, you're going to die. Get your house in order. He turned his face to the wall, prayed. God gave him 15 more years. Everybody know what I'm talking about? And then after that, Babylonian ambassadors came from Babylon. And then that moment, he got in pride and showed them all of the goodies. You big. <laughs> you big dummy. All of the good stuff you did right. And then Isaiah said, who are those people and where did they come from? And he told him and he said, he said, after you're dead, your descendants would be enslaved and serve the kings of Babylon. So Daniel, Daniel one says that they are from the royal seed. They were from the royal seed. And clearly, Daniel and the three Hebrew boys were the direct prophetic fulfillment of what, what Isaiah prophesied to Hezekiah. I believe the scripture doesn't tell you that they're directly the ones, but they were the closest ones to the king. And the scripture clearly says that they were from royal seed. <clears throat> Daniel looks at this guy, <clears throat> and then this guy who, um, who, becomes this massive ruler on the planet. He was a global superpower in his day. Nebuchadnezzar was. And Nebuchadnezzar, for seven years, for seven years, for seven years, went crazy like a beast and was separated from his throne. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then at the end, his reason came to him and he got his throne back. This same Nebuchadnezzar was the one who created a golden image and set it out on the plains of Babylon and said, if you don't bow down to this thing, 
I'm going to throw you in the fire. All right. All of those were types and shadows of what the Antichrist, who is also called the beast, would do for this seven year period called tribulation. Daniel went on from that, getting a revelation on that, and he wrote more Old Testament scripture on end times than any other person. God showed him about the end times. Now, his perspective on the end times was really focused on the nation of Israel because in his dispensation, he didn't know this thing called the church. God didn't reveal that to him. Paul said that was hidden from the previous dispensations, but he understood that this Antichrist would do some difficult things specifically to his nation. And he ought to understand that because his some difficult things have been done by the type of the Antichrist who was Nebuchadnezzar to his nation while he was still there. Somebody say amen if you got that. Right. That's a back to the future revelation. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All right. Now, why do we want to understand that? What we what 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 do we want to understand is that even in this period, people will be resisting. And people will be making decisions that causes them to be caught out. But it's a whole lot tougher if you listen. The best the best ride is the first one. I'm just going to leave that one there. All right. So we want to. We want to be those that are, um, as Jesus said, the five wise and the five foolish. We want to be wise with oil. This is Pentecost week. So we want to make sure that our oil is, is <laughs> our lamps are trimmed and burning. I remember uh, we used to sing a song, um, keep those lamps trimmed and burning. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so we want to be those that are ready and doing the things that Jesus has called us to do so that we'll be counted worthy to escape those things that are coming up on the planet and stand before the Son of Man. That's the words Jesus used. Number seven. Man, I'm almost done. This is good, though. Number seven. Jesus opens the sixth seal, and nature experiences upheavals, the likes of which have never occurred before. There are certain prophetic things that are prophesied that would happen in nature. You got to remember, Jesus is the one. Um, all creation is held together by his word. By first, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And that word, according to John chapter one, became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So he holds, he upholds all things by the word of his power. And this scripture tells us when he unleashes, unleashes the sixth seal, that all kinds of nature, islands will be moved out of their places. Stars or asteroids fall from the sky. Like a fig tree losing ripe figs and the heaven will be rolled back like a scroll and things that man couldn't see before now man can see 
You know, right now, spiritually, when a person is between life and death, they begin to see over into the spirit realm, don't they? Apostle was preaching the funeral and she was talking and she and I had had some conversations before um, now the now resting, sleeping Pastor Perry went to heaven and about how she saw Jesus and how she had some new clothes and she had a new body. She was saying things and seeing things because you get to the point where you begin when the veil gets gets thin and removed. All right. People think like, no, heaven's a real place. There are real streets. People walk. You know, um, and when that when that when that dividing line begins to disappear for us, that's a good thing for people that are ready. They get excited. Right. They start to see Jesus and then you lose the, your hold on them. OK, but what about people that see him that's not ready for him? And what about what happens when the dispensation has changed? Then they begin to see and what what gives us joy brings them fear. So then finally, number eight, during this time, God will open heaven and allow humanity to see the source of tribulation and they will seek to hide from it. <laughs> I thought it was very interesting. Jesus told us to speak to the mountain and now they started to speak to the mountain. <laughs> and tell the mountains, hide us. <laughs> ah, Because the day of his wrath has come. We'll go on and read some more things about this period and about the person. And, and the scripture tells us that um, the Antichrist not only blasphemes God and Jesus, it blasphemes those of us that were caught into heaven with him. Why? They're going to see some things. <laughs> They're going to have some, some open pictures. Now, you can't do that on your own, but when he starts to open it back, do you see it? See, that's why we, that's why we don't look at all of the things around us to determine when things are going to happen. We, we are just doing our part. We're shooting our shot now to finish our assignment, but we know because he said it's going to be a certain way that God causes on his own shot, and it's going to be the way that he says it is. Amen. He declares the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, I'll fulfill all of my pleasure. And what for some people will be time of difficulty will be for us a time of great joy. We started this series. 
with some prophetic input from one of the fathers that really is a blessing to us and that when we see the signs coming, we should not be caught like the world. We should lift up our heads because our redemption draws nigh. For us, this is redemption. All right? And so we're just taking the time to see what the redemption means for us.